Holy Spirit, thank you for giving good gifts to your church. Let us receive these, your gifts, with joy and gratitude. And we ask that you would speak to us now through this other good gift, your word. Um, We're grateful for it. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. When you see something like this, um, I got a picture for you here. What do you say? I mean, assuming children are present, right? Um, or, you know, the perfect pass, it's just, it just barely, oh, what happened there? Oh, there we go. It works. Okay. Um, but just barely, like, just barely missed. Maybe, maybe you had a moment like that in the game last week. Like, what do you, what do you say? What, what comes out of your mouth? Again, Children are present, you're in church for crying out loud. Um, like, what comes out of your mouth in those moments? Ah, yeah, somebody like, oh, or some, some sort of like animal-like, guttural, like growling sort of groan, right? Or maybe a more resigned, oh. We groan, don't we? Like, isn't that a, isn't that a weird thing that we do? And it's like universal, like everybody does it. Like, it doesn't matter what culture you're in. Like, everybody has this sort of, oh, sort of moment. Like, it's, it's weird that we do In fact, studies have, been, have, like, been done about this, that we, we do it under emotional or physical pain is when we do it, emotional or physical pain, and that it does give us some relief. So, like, studies are, like, there's some satisfaction that comes with the groaning. But it's weird. And I tell you, the older I get, like, the more groaning I do. I mean, seriously, right? Don't, come on, don't laugh at me. I'm only, I'm only 42. Uh, next month, I'll be 42. Like, and I'm a pretty good, like, we're active people, right? But like, last week, I had to get out of a Prius, okay? Like, I'm 6'5". I, I groaned. Or, or, or Kelly and I, a couple weeks ago, we went on this great hike. It was like 12 miles, 1,600 feet of elevation. It was one of the highlights of my summer. Uh, but like, later on that night, I had to get up out of bed. Uh, so maybe I'm getting old. Um, but I, like, the first step, my entire body just groaned. I thought I was going to fall over. Like, the older I get, the more I groan. And listen, listen, like, it's, it's not just, the, like, the aches and pains. Like, that's the easy stuff. It's not just when I'm watching sports ball. Like, who cares? Like, that, that's not it. Like, the more and more it happens, it's like, it's the big stuff now. That's where I groan. Like, the stuff that really matters. Like, like, for me, it's when I, when I look at my kids and I realize that I've got, like, five minutes left, right? And I still want so much more for them. It's when, it's when I look at work or, you know, something, so it just feels absolutely insurmountable, impossible decisions or difficult people or just not knowing what to do, being overwhelmed, and I, and I groan. Or maybe it's, like, when we look at the people we love and we see the heartache that they're, they're in, right? Difficult family situations or cancer or infertility or any, any number of things, and we just, we just groan. And then we look beyond ourselves, look at our world. I mean, people, I am so exhausted by COVID, just so tired. Or the polarization that just continues to, to tear us apart, injustice all over the place, like, or, or hurricanes and wildfires. I mean, it's as if the planet itself is groaning. And we groan with it. Because sometimes words just aren't enough. Like we don't, even, we don't even know what to say. We don't know how to articulate it. Sometimes we don't even know what to pray. And so we just groan. It's so weird that we do this. But 
you know what's even weirder? I mean, you can't make this stuff up. This is just so bizarre to me. It just absolutely sounds ridiculous that we have a God who groans. I mean, if you heard those words that were just read, that's what Paul tells us, that our God groans. That it's not, it's not just us. Like, we're not, we're not crazy, right? We're not just sort of stuck alone in our groanings, that God himself groans with us. My God groans. And really, if you take just one thing with you from the time together this morning, I hope it's that, like that God groans, and specifically the, the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're in this series right now. We've been working through kind of the, the story of the Spirit. Who is he? This, this often forgotten member of the Trinity. Who is he? And, and what does he mean for us as God's people? And what we see today is that he groans with us. He groans for us. That if, if you belong to him through Jesus, your groans are his groans with you. And so we see it right here in Romans chapter 8. Go ahead and turn there, uh, if you haven't already. Or we'll have, we'll have some of the uh, scripture on the slide as well. But Romans 8 is perhaps my favorite chapter of the whole Bible. Like, we, we could spend months just, just soaking in Romans 8. I mean, it begins, you know, Paul in Romans, he's just spent all this time talking about how sinful we are, how broken we are, how, how deserving we are of God's wrath. But chapter 8, verse 1, it begins, but there is no condemnation left for those who are in Jesus. Like, there's no, God has no, if you're with Jesus, there's no judgment left for you. Jesus has already taken it all. And then he, and he keeps describing all the things that are, that are going on in our, like the, these promises, and he, he gets to the spot where he begins unpacking the Spirit's role in our life as God's people. And here in these verses, he uses the word for groan or groaning three times. First, for our planet. Second, for ourselves. And third, for God, the Holy Spirit, that all of us are groaning together. It's like some sad but beautiful chorus. These, these three players in this, 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 in some ways, horrifying symphony, right? Groaning together. And so let's, let's start with verse 18. We'll go back to verse 12 in a second. Let's start with 18, where we see that earth itself groans. For Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. Paul says a lot right there, doesn't he? I mean, he begins with this almost ridiculous statement that the suffering we experience right now is not even worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. And then he, then he paints this, this picture of creation, that, that creation itself, like the earth itself, like everything is sort of like on the edge of its seat, just waiting for this glory to be revealed. It's, it's longing, it's groaning, it's, it's, it's hoping that one day, like the sons of God, that, that, that God's people, that we will be seen and known, like this, this fulfillment. But that our, our sin has, has sort of put creation in chains is kind of the idea this bondage to corruption, that everything now is broken. It's not, it's not the tree's fault. It's not the plant's fault, right? It's not the animal's fault. It's our fault 
but they, they suffer with us and they groan along with us. And so the trees groan and the waters groan and the weather groans, right? Everything, animals and plants, everything is groaning. So every forest fire, every, every hurricane, all of it, the, the plagues and viruses, every drought, earthquake, like all of it, is this, this sad song, this horrible groan for something better. But I love how Paul sort of ends that section, how he describes it. That it's, that it's, not a, it's not an empty groaning. It's not a hopeless groaning. What does he say? It groans as if in childbirth. Like, think about that for a moment. Like, the, the, the groaning is real, right? The, the pain is real. It's, he's not minimizing any of that. But there's anticipation that is going to have been worth it, that something good and beautiful is coming, that, that our broken world is, is like trying to give birth to a new one. And that with every, every groan and with every push, we get one step closer. Because the earth is groaning. And then the song continues to build. So it's almost like you hear, you hear that chorus first. And it's just, it's just all of, everything around us is groaning. And then we join in the chorus, Paul says. That your groans and my groans become part of this, this song, right? Verse 23 says, And not only the creation... But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. That you and I, we're groaning. Every groan we groan, right? It's all this, this longing for our adoption to be finalized, is what Paul says so interesting, right? He uses the metaphor of childbirth for, for the planet, for us. It's a, the metaphor of, of adoption. That, and and many, many of you, like you understand this word personally, right? This incredible word, what, what it's like to be welcomed into somebody else's family or to welcome someone else in to make someone your child. And, and many, many theologians have referred to this idea of adoption as actually the greatest privilege of the gospel, I think, that's, I think it's true. There's a lot of privileges, right? There's a lot of things that we get because of what Jesus has done for us. I think this is the best, that we are welcomed in, people, not, not as slaves or subjects, even though we've been, we've been fighting against God from day one, right? That we're not captured as, as prisoners of war. We're welcomed as family. Like, complete family, Right? He welcomes us in because, because of Jesus. God is our father. Jesus is our big brother, which sounds heretical to even say, but that's what the scriptures teach. And the Holy Spirit. Well, this, is the, this is the first thing we hear him groaning out to us. That our, our God groans, you are my children. I think that's, that's the first thing we see that we kind of build out of this, this chorus, this groaning together, that God is our Father, that Jesus is our brother, and that the Spirit whispers directly to our hearts with groans that are inaudible, you are mine. You belong with me. You belong in this family. So go back, go back even to, to verse 14 then, where we see this. It says, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. We're not, we're not slaves. We're not captured by fear. Like we, 
like, listen, like if we're if we've been adopted into this family by God himself, like we have nothing to fear. That's what he's, he's saying. There's nothing, even as broken as it is, as much groaning as there is, there's nothing left to fear. We're, we're heirs with Christ, he says. Like co-heirs with Jesus. Do you, I mean, follow what that means. Like that means, like, like Jesus is God's rightful son, right? We're, we're adopted in, we're brought in, but we're co-heirs with him. In the ancient world, only the sons would adopt, or would, would inherit, first of all, and typically only the oldest son. But we're co-heirs with Jesus. That means, that means everything God has coming to Jesus, he has coming to you and to me. That we, we're, like, we're equal partners in this kingdom, which is, I mean, it's, just, it's unbelievable, this, this gift that, that all of Jesus' goodness is given to us, all of our sin is given to him, and we are co-heirs with Jesus, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is the, the Aramaic language. Um, Father is the translation there of the, of the Greek. And Paul's, it's like you said, it doesn't matter what language you speak. Like it, just, it doesn't matter, like the tenderness, the, the intimacy, and, and you and I, like we tend to be so used to this image. Well, of course God's my Father, right? But like, Slow down for a moment. The God of the universe, the one who made everything, the Holy One, the sovereign judge over all, the one who will judge the universe. Like, we get to call him dad. And my, my kids know, and I, I am far from a perfect father, believe me, okay? I have my, my lousy moments, but they know that they can ask, they can ask me for anything. That I'm not, I'm not going to shame them in that, in that moment. I'm not going to give them everything, right? But they can ask. They know, they know that no matter what, they can come to me, that I love them, that I'm proud of them, that I want to be with them. Like, and I am, like, I'm a lousy father compared to God. And we, we have this perfect dad who always welcomes, who always loves, who always pursues. And in verse 16, Paul says, the Spirit himself bears witness, that like preaches, like reminds us, like groans to us, bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs. Yeah, this reminds me of that uh, word groan a few verses down, we're going to get there in a second, but Paul is saying like the spirit, if you belong to God through Jesus, the spirit is there to constantly groan out to you, to bear witness to your spirit that you are my children, that you belong it's almost, it's almost like the Holy Spirit is the adoption certificate. Like when you begin to, to doubt and wonder, it's like, man, there's no way I belong in this family. I'm such a mess. You can go, you can like look again and no, it's there. It's in, it's in writing. It's there that you belong. Or, or he's, he's like the family picture hanging on the wall. And when you have those moments of despair, you're like there's no way I could be in this family. There you are right in the center. Like they, you're, you're part of the family. It's, it's like God's arms wrapping around you, whispering to you, you are mine. The Holy Spirit is like our new last name. And our, our new last name is God's. We, we belong. And you and I, we, we've seen that moment in a child's eyes. Maybe it's one of yours. Maybe it's a, a friend's kids. Or you've seen where, where they know, where you can tell by looking at them that they know that they are seen, known, and loved, that they're safe. And, and the sense of relief that that brings in a moment of, of difficulty or trial, that they, that they belong. Like This is what God's Spirit continually does his people groaning to you you belong you're mine you're loved I'll never, I'll never leave you I'll never kick you out of this family and when, when we bring our groans to him in faith 
groans right back. Does he tell us to buck up, right? Get it together, be a little stronger. No, he groans with us. He joins in the groaning with us and for us. And there's no one who can tell you who you are like your heavenly father. So let, let him define you. Like, not, not your desires, not your friends, not your world, not your politics, not your, your good decisions or your bad decisions, your, your failures or your sins or your, or your successes. I mean, it's like, the, it's like the old hymn. I love this hymn. When, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. You know, that, you know that feeling? Like you look in the mirror and you're like, you, Nathan, you're just a piece of trash. No one, no one could love you. No one could want you. They only knew this about you. Like, have you ever had that moment? But the Spirit is there groaning out, no! Nathan, that is not who you are. Those moments when, when doubt just sort of washes over you, you feel so alone, wondering if God has abandoned you, and the fears just continually overtake you. The Spirit groans out, no. You are chosen, not forsaken. God is for you, not against you. And he will never walk out on you. So let him tell you who you are. Because he's constantly groaning out to your spirit, you are mine. You are my daughter. You are my son. This, this is your truest self. Not those other selves that we try to invent, right, for others or for, to please us. Like, this is who we are. Let him tell you who you are. That's, that's the first thing. That's the first sort of groaning we hear out of this song. Second, our God groans out, I know what my children need. Sorry, guys, real fast. That's good. Groans out, I know what my children need. So our, our world, again, is groaning as, as if in childbirth. Uh, we join in the groaning, waiting for our adop- adoption, and then God himself joins in this, this chorus, groaning, like tuning our hearts, essentially, tuning our groans to his. So verse, verse 26, then, Paul says, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So he says first, church, that the, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I'm just, I'm, I'm so glad that Paul just names that. And we, don't have, we don't have to pretend, right? He knows, God knows that we're weak right, that we can't do it, that we can't live our lives on our own, that we can't please him on our own, that we can't help the people we love, the mo- like we cannot, do- we're weak, like we need his help, and so Paul just names it, we don't have to hide from it, right, he knows that, and he, hear- he hears our groans, like we, don't have to- we don't have to hide those up for him, we don't have to clean them up or anything like that, like, and even, even Paul says when we don't know what to pray, which personally I just love, because it's like, I-, I don't feel like I'm very good at praying, like praying is hard, right, at the very least, it feels awkward or kind of weird, but like, I don't, I don't know what to say sometimes. I don't, I don't know what God wants. I don't even know what I want most of the time. I don't know what's best for me or for the people I love. I mean, even, even in normal circumstances, like just the normal things, the normal, like I don't know what to pray sometimes. Like, and so for example, I'll, I'll do my best. I'll say to God, you know, God, 
keep my kids safe. Please, would you do that? Please keep my kids safe. And like a moment later, I'll say, and, and God, help them to be strong. T- teach them bravery. Give them, give them grit. And then God's like, well, which do you want, right? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know, right? I don't know, I don't know what I want. And I still pray, but sometimes it just, it feels like guessing. But I, I love this. It's like Paul is saying that the Spirit is there to translate to the Father what we should be asking for. Like he, know, he knows the language. He knows our language. He knows, he knows the sovereign one's language. And he can kind of step in, be, in between and intercede on our behalf. And so I'm, this is maybe silly, but I kind of picture it like this. That when I, when I go to pray and I'm doing my best, right? Like, and I start asking for something, asking God to do something. It's like the Spirit comes in and he's like, hey, uh, Father, um, one, of your, one of your children, Nathan, he's asking for X. But you know what, like, bless his heart. Nathan, he has no clue. Like, he does, he does not know what he wants. He doesn't know what's good for him. And so, like, like don't, don't give him X, okay? He's asking for X. Don't, don't do it because, like, we know that if you give him X, it's going to lead over here, and he certainly doesn't want to go over there, so don't do that. Let me instead ask for Y. Y is what he wants. If he knew what we knew, he would be asking for Y. So give him Y, and because he's God, right? And this is what Paul says. He knows the will of God. So everything the Spirit asks for on our behalf, we get. Like, he doesn't, he doesn't make any bad requests like we do. He doesn't, he doesn't make any disingenuous requests like we do. And that's just like the normal stuff. That's when we actually have the strength to sit down and ask God to work. What about, what about when we don't even have the strength to do that? Some of you have been there, right? Some of you may be there right now. Others of you will be there eventually. When, like, the best thing you can do, the, like, the only thing you have strength for is just to groan generally in God's direction. When you just don't, you don't have the words. Like, like, we groan because sometimes we don't know what to say, but sometimes we groan because the words just aren't enough. All you can do is groan. But Paul says that the Spirit hears our groans. He hears those indistinguishable, inarticulate cries for help. And he joins with us in our groaning. That he he steps into the place of confusion, doubt, fear, or shame. He steps right in. Because, I mean, we're his children for crying out loud. This is what a good parent would do. And he adds his groans to ours. But but here's, here's the difference. While our groans are weak, so weak, his are, his are strong. While our groans have, have so much confusion and doubt wrapped in, his groans have nothing but absolute confidence because he, he knows what's right. He knows where it's going. Where our, where our groans, if we're honest, often bend towards despair, his groans are always filled with hope, with absolute confidence. This is why Paul says that he intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. That word intercede there, it's an interesting word. An intercessor is someone who like speaks on behalf of somebody else, right? And so if, if you have someone working through immigration, right, if you step in to, to help them, you know, seek legal protection, you're, you're their advocate in that space. You're their intercessor. Or if you have an elderly friend who's in a nursing home, and you're not sure they're getting the care that they need, like you go and you step into that space, you advocate for them, you, you intercede for them. This is, what the, this is what the Spirit does for us. It's like, it's like praying, like when we pray, but the Spirit, again, he, not only does he know what we need, he knows what God wants. He's like the bridge between our needs and God's will, which means every request the Spirit makes on our behalf, God grants. 
Imagine it a bit like this. Maybe this is a bit of a strange illustration. But about a year ago, I read this beautiful, kind of weird book, um, the, Life of, or the Sound of Life's Unspeakable Beauty, uh, written by a German violin maker, Martin Schleske. Reed and I both, we've mentioned this uh, a handful of times, uh, this, this book. It's, it's a weird book because like, it's long, but he, and it's very poetic. He like, compares the art of violin making, which I know nothing about, have no desire to really... I mean, it's interesting, but I don't, I'm not going to become one, right? And, and music, he compares all of that to what it means to follow Jesus. So the book is like this extended metaphor. And I, I didn't know this, but like part of his job is to search for the perfect tree. Like that's how far back he goes in the process. So he tells a story early on about like climbing up into the high altitude of the Alps, like after an avalanche, going through the rubble, looking for just the perfect tree. Because, because he says like... The, the best violins are made from trees that have lived through the harshest conditions. That if, if you want a beautiful violin, you need a tree that has suffered. And so as, as, I'm, as I'm reading this, like in, I imagine us as followers of Jesus, this grove of groaning trees, now made into violins, God help us, we're trying to play, but we are not good at playing the violin. Like, it just sounds awful, right? We're doing our best, but we're all, we're out of tune. We don't, it's like, it's, like, it's just really, really bad. It's like, it's like if you've ever been to the symphony, you know, in the very beginning, they're all sort of warming up and they're tuning their instruments and it's all just sort of this mess and you're like, why did I pay this much money and get dressed up for this, right? It's like an awful sort of experience. And then, and then like the, the first chair violinist comes out and she, she plays like one note and everybody everybody matches her, right? I mean, that, that I, I feel like that's sort of what the Spirit does with our groans. We're, we're completely out of tune, people. We're out of tune with one another. We're out of tune with God. We sound like a mess. <laughs> and yet he joins his groans with ours until we begin to hit just the right note. And the conductor smiles and the symphony begins. The song we're playing, it is a sad song. Because remember, it's made up of groans, right? Our groaning world, our groaning selves, and our groaning God. It is a sad, sad song. But we haven't heard the end yet. It's building to glory. For here, here's the last groan, the third groan we hear from Romans 8. That our God groans, this is what this song is building towards, our God groans, glory is coming. That's our song, church. Yes, there's, there's hope today, right? There's strength today, but our, our ultimate hope is not today. We're not, we're not promised easy lives. We're not, we're not promised that everything's going to go smooth for us, that it's all going to work out in this moment, right? Our, our anticipation is for glory that is coming because, yes, we groan, but we will not groan forever. Let's, let's look again at, at verse, verse 18. I mean, this, this almost like ridiculous statement Paul makes is, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is be re- to be revealed to us. You, you read that, and it's almost like, Paul... Like, how insensitive. Like, people are really hurting, Paul. Like, it's not even worth comparing. Like, Paul, what do you know, right? You probably had an easy life. Everything came your way. Like, that's, like, if you know Paul, that's absolutely not true. Actually, he suffered way more than probably most of us in this room, right? Even to the point of, like, 
like jail time, beatings, like eventually being executed as a follower of Jesus. Paul knew what it's like to suffer, and he still said it's not even, it's just not even, not even worth comparing to the glory that's to come. And he builds then in verse 24, he says, for in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Who hopes for what he sees? This is kind of an odd rhetorical question, right? Like, well, what do, what do we see, church? We see a lot of brokenness. Now, we saw, see a lot of pain. We see, we see things all around us that lead only to more and more groaning. Nobody hopes for that. But we hope for what is not seen. We hope for what we believe is coming by faith through this God who loves us, rescued us through Jesus, and empowers and fills us with his spirit because glory is coming. The crescendo is building. And the song, the song, yes, it's, it's dark and it's, we're kind of, I feel like we're in kind of a, a gloomy part of the song. But it's going to get better. Glory is coming. It, our, our world, remember, go back to the other metaphor, right? The, the, our world is in labor and the pain is very great. Like giving birth is messy. And our groans are very, very real, but new creation will be born. It is coming. And so we wait. Patiently. I mean, trying, trying to be patient. With eager expectation, with great hope, knowing that through the Spirit's groans, God means good things for his people, for his children. That we are his, he knows what we need, and that glory is coming. So how? Like, how do we wait I think by groaning. It's not, a, it's not a really exciting conclusion, I guess, or great application, but that's, I think that's what Paul's building towards is that we just, we groan. Like, it's okay. Like, we, we, can, we can groan knowing that our God hears us, that he loves us, that we can give God our groans, that we can, we can bring them to him knowing that a good father will never push you away, that you can bring them to him, even, even when you have no idea what it is you're asking for because he, you know that he prays on your behalf. And you come knowing that as you groan, he's subtly, gently tuning our groans to his, our hearts to his. And so the next time you groan, like everybody does it, right? But the next time you do it as God's child, like let it be as a kind of prayer, like, remind yourself in that moment that this is, this is my heart's attempt uh, to cry out to this God in this moment, that he, that he sees you, he, he knows the place of deepest hurt, deepest fear, deepest shame, whatever it is that's causing you to groan, that he knows, and that he wants to join you in that place of groan. He doesn't want you there by yourself. He wants to groan with you and for you, whispering to you, you are mine. I know what you need. And glory is coming. Why don't we take a moment to do that even now, to give God our groans. Let's, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, this place of reminder, of, of joy, and of connection with God, let's just let's quiet ourselves and just take a minute um, to pray. To let God hear your groans. To give them to him.